chapter 1. And if you need a page number with the Pew Bible there in front of you, you can turn to page 856. We'd love for you to grab one of those Bibles, by the way, if you do not have a Bible with you this morning. In fact, please take that Bible as a gift so that you may continue to read the Word of God. Um, We are uh, at Advent already. We have not had Thanksgiving yet, Um, but this is a uh, five-week series, so we needed to go ahead and start here in November, and we figured that you would have no problem with that uh, because most people already in the house, you may have at least one Christmas tree up in the house already. And so we're an eager people. I've noticed this year, it seemed that as soon as people were putting their pumpkins up, they were already putting their Christmas trees up. And I asked, told that to one lady the other day, she said, oh, no, 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 not me. She said, my tree went up the same day my pumpkins went up. So it's getting earlier and earlier. Maybe that has something to say about our eager expectation. Uh, that we're a people who like to celebrate. We're a people who like to, to give. Uh, we're people who like to receive. And so I hope that as we go through this Advent series, and as we talk about Advent, we're talking about the coming of Christ. We're talking about the revealing of Christ Jesus. And today we're looking at Zechariah's song. And so it's going to be our focus for the next five weeks leading up to Christmas. So we're going to start here in Luke chapter 1. And the title today, if you're going to be taking notes, is The Day of Visitation. So as I read for us, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 65 through 68, you also read with me. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for gathering us together as a people. Lord, I thank you for new faces that I've seen this morning, men and women that you brought into this place, new children that you brought into this place. I pray today they are blessed as they hear the word of God, as they fellowship among the church. And God, I pray that their hearts are for you and not against you. Lord, thank you that you're patient with us. Many times, You even allow us to continue in our doubt. You allow us to continue in our fears. For you have a plan in place that we do not see at the moment. Lord, we also thank you for the times that you instill discipline upon us because you love us. Thank you for caring for us and not allowing us to continue in our wayward way of life, which we once lived. But since by your grace you have made us a new creation, you keep us in line according to your word. Thank you that you discipline those whom you love. Father, today as we look into the scriptures, may we be reminded of this good discipline and how it's for our good and for your glory that we would make the most of you. So Lord, bless this time. We thank you in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. So we're going to be looking at this song over the next few weeks. I want to give you a little bit of background of what's happening with Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're going to be the parents of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is going to have a crucial role as Christ comes as King Jesus. John the Baptist is going to be the one to come before him as the one who says, hear ye, hear ye, prepare the way of the Lord. Repent, repent, repent. He is the one to come before Jesus. But now we backtrack all the way here to Luke chapter 1 and we see the setting before all of this takes place. Luke chapter 1, 5 through 7 says this. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. And they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So the Jewish priesthood was divided up into 24 divisions, each composed of four to nine families. We can see this in First Chronicles chapter 24 and 2 Chronicles chapter 8. If you want to write that down, go back and read the background. Apart from the three great festivals, they performed their duties for two separate weeks each year. And so Zechariah was from the division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was from the daughters of Aaron. And so any child of theirs would come from priestly stock. It's like two children whose parents are scientists. I'm sure somewhere along there, they're going to have the smart gene. Or you have two parents who are athletes, and you're going to see an athletic gene come from one of those little ones. But from here, this child, he would have parents who come from priestly families. But there is no child. Not yet. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were righteous people. They walked blamelessly before the Lord, as we read. Both were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. This is a reflection upon the work of the Spirit of God within them as God the Father's grace covered them. You may come from a background where the Old Testament's not that important to you because you may see it's the New Covenant. It's the New Testament that matters most. It's Jesus coming to provide salvation. You may even think today that people were actually saved by the blood of bulls and goats in the Old Testament, although Hebrews affirms that no one was ever saved by the blood of bulls or goats. How is man saved? How is woman saved? There's only one way, and that's through Christ Jesus. And that was the same way for those who were in the Old Testament, who were awaiting Christ Jesus. And here is Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they are awaiting the Messiah to come. And yet they have the Holy Spirit as those who now, after Christ has come and placed their faith and trust in Jesus, have the Holy Spirit. It's always been about Jesus. Always. All of those Old Testament sacrifices We're pointing to Jesus. 
No man or woman will ever be before God in righteousness apart from Jesus Christ. So I just want to be clear on that part. Here is Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they are walking blamelessly before the Lord. They have the Holy Spirit. Take note of this. But even in this God-honoring position, Elizabeth was without child. She was barren. Imagine coming from priestly families. You're looking forward to have a child to continue in the priestly family. Yet, you're not able to have a child. This is awfully difficult in today's time. It's awfully difficult back in this time. Maybe they couldn't help but think that there was something wrong with them. Although they're honoring the Lord, although Zechariah is serving in the temple. Hey, we're, we're doing a godly work, but something must be wrong with us. You may be here today, and you're struggling with that. You're thinking, I'm trusting God, but yet I'm without I don't have what I've been asking for. Is there something wrong with me? Because I don't believe there's anything wrong with God, but maybe you're at that point when you're going, maybe there's something wrong with God. Maybe God's not upholding his end of the deal. Hey, I'm being righteous. I'm being good. I'm trusting you. Maybe a background in which you were raised in would say this, that if you did these things for God, then he was going to give you a blessing. Maybe you come from a background where men or women laid hands on you and prophesied over you and said, you will, will receive these things. Not only is that unbiblical, but that's damaging to your soul, isn't it? That someone would say in the name of God that you will receive something because you were obedient. And yet, here are two obedient people who love the Lord. Why is she without child? Well, we are able to receive that answer because God gives it to us. You may not receive the answer you're looking for in your current situation, but what you can do is attach yourself to the Scripture and be encouraged today that God is not absent God is not at fault. God is not wrong. No, God is faithful. And here's how he's working. This was by God's design. For God's great plan for the redemption of his people. That's why she was without child all the way up into her old age because God had designed it to be this way. It was God's great plan and God is in control of all things. He is supreme. He is sovereign. He is good. He is all powerful. He takes notice of everything and everything has its place for his glory. As Zechariah was serving as priest before God, as his division was on duty. He was the only one in the temple at this moment. Now, you may think that when you read the Bible that it was just an everyday occurrence that people encountered angels. They just saw angels, they communicated with angels because that's just what they did in the Bible. Maybe that's what you think, but that's not the case. 
In fact, we're, it's safe to assume that Zechariah has never seen an angel before. It's the first time he's going to see an angel and he's going to be terrified. We're going to see the response from Zechariah when you see an angel. It's not the little cute little chubby babies with wings. This is a terrifying image. This is a warrior of God that comes and stands before him. And Zechariah was terrified and fell down in fear. Here's what the angel said. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John, which means the Lord has been gracious. Maybe Zechariah at this point wants to say, well, good gracious, where have you been now? Now, in my old age, in in my wife's old age, we're going to have a baby? Although he's terrified, remember, he's on the floor at this moment because he's terrified of what he sees by this angel. He hears this message and he doesn't believe it. He simply does not believe the message. Had this been an old prayer of his from days gone by? Maybe when he was younger, Daily, he would pray, God, would you give us a child? Maybe he and Elizabeth would gather together and pray, would you give us a child? We trust you, Lord. We're bringing our request to you. There's none other that we would bring this request to except you, God. Will you give us a child? And now the angel comes and says, hey, the Lord heard your prayer. So if we're thinking that God is forgetful, Or that God doesn't answer at the right time. No, he answers at the perfect time and he knows all things. He hears every one of our prayers as we pray in faith through Jesus Christ. And here's how he responded with his doubt. He says, how shall I know this? Just pause there for a moment. Like there are things we say at times that later we'll go back and go, I can't believe I asked that or said that. How shall you know? I don't, I don't know. Zachariah, maybe you're in a temple. Maybe nobody else is here and an angel of the Lord comes and he tells you this news. Maybe that's how you'll know. For those of us who would say, if God would just come and reveal himself, if he'll just send an angel, I'll believe. Oh yeah? You better than Zachariah here? Because an angel came to him. I mean, obviously he knew it was an angel, but he doesn't believe. Take notice of this. When we say weak things like that, that right here, an angel did come to him. And he responds with full on doubt. And here's, here's what he says. For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Even when an angel comes before him in the temple, He looks at the circumstance and he goes, no way, too big for God, too big for God. He said, well, Brian, you got to go easy on him because they've really had a tough life. Look, God understands where they've been. God knows their hurt. God knows their pain. God knows their doubt. So how does God respond? How does God respond? The angel passes down discipline from God. God is never at fault for a delay. God is never at fault for not giving us what we ask from him. 
He is always right. He is perfect. He is just. And he will discipline those whom he loves. Hear this, verse 19. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. How will you know? I'm Gabriel. I'm in the presence of the Lord. And I'm coming to you and I'm sharing this message with you. This is good news. But you're not receiving this good news because of your doubt. Verse 20. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Now, fast forward nine months later, after this discipline has run its course, it is complete. Zechariah asked for a writing tablet and said that the boy's name would be John. Verse 64, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God. Now, had it been uh, today's time in which this was happening, we could say that Zechariah finds out he's having a son. Uh, He and Elizabeth, they gather together and they come up with all of these names, all the names that they've ever dreamed of. Now they're going to use them. They they would go to Google if it was today's time and search out the most popular names of the year, right? And and then they would go to the trendy name. They'd find that and say, hmm, maybe, maybe, let's first, let's do this. It sounds good, but let's see if it has a biblical meaning, right? Let's go back to have a biblical meaning. Okay, yeah, we'll use that one, okay? Because then we could tell people that's why we really chose it instead of just the sound of it, which never happens. But... They don't even get that. They don't get that opportunity. I says, no, you're going to have a child, and I'm going to go ahead and name him for you. Before we get to that part, let's be reminded of the discipline. When God disciplines his children, it is for their good and for his glory. God silenced Zechariah. Nine months, silence. Why was he disciplined with silence? Why silence? What was the purpose in this silence? So that he could no longer speak words of doubt. God saying, man, shut your mouth and listen. Listen. Throughout centuries, man has always tried to respond with God, respond to God, reason with God, But yet man always likes understanding, especially when he approaches God with doubt. At this point, he could only listen and wait. I believe much in how God disciplines us today is in the same fashion, where we must listen and wait. Listen meaning taking hold to his word. Zechariah would know the Old Testament. He would take it. He would read it. Imagine nine months, him going back through all of that and saying, where am I in light of all of this happening? What is going on here? God has visited me. Great things are going to happen. Let me go back and read. He's reading, he's listening, and he's waiting. Why? So that he could share in God's holiness. When God disciplines us, it's so that we will share in his holiness. Not that we will rob him of his holiness or take any of his holiness away, but we will share in the holiness, that we will draw close to him, that we will bear good fruit, meaning we'll share good news, 
It's to bring one in line with God's will or to be trained by God's discipline. It's to bring us in line with God's will. So as we're praying, God, whatever your will may be, there are times in which he disciplines us so that we will do his will because he is good. Hebrews 12, 10 through 11 says, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. And all the children in the room say amen. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There's a training that should take place when you discipline. Can I give a little side note? Always looking for these opportunities. Mom, dad, when you discipline your child, if it's not for the purpose of training them, you shouldn't discipline them. If it's because you're inconvenienced or mad or how dare they offend you and then you discipline them based off of that, that's sinful. That's anger. That's not righteousness. God never disciplines his children just in pure anger without there being righteousness. When we discipline our children, it is for correction. It is for love. It is painful to issue that discipline. Oh man, when I get home and I, and I hear that at times, hey, here's what happened today. And I'm like, oh man, it's been a good day. Now I got to go be the authoritarian. Let's, let's go do this. But it, What's the motive to correct, to love, to bring in line with what is right? That is how God disciplines. He brings his children in line with his will. Zechariah prayed for his wife to be able to bear a child and God answered his request, but he doubted God's plan. Why couldn't he just respond as the angel did to Mary in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. I want you to take notice of this, that even when you're walking closely with the Lord, there will be days in which you doubt God. Maybe that's frustrating to you because you're waiting for that moment where there will just be perfection in your life here on this earth and you'll just trust God with everything. Not gonna happen at this point. When Christ returns and then we have a glorified body, then there will be perfection. Then there will be a holiness and a righteousness that we will attain to where we'll never doubt, to where we'll never fear as in wanting to run away from God. But as we're here on this present earth, there will be many days in which we continue to doubt and yet God is patient with us. God disciplines us. God brings us in line with his will. Although he, although he was righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, he doubted the word of God. What does it mean to doubt? Doubting God does not speak well of God. So if blessing in this chapter means to speak well of God, doubting means we do not speak well of God. After discipline from the Lord, Zechariah spoke, blessing God, meaning to speak well of God for his good and for God's glory. This is where God's children find their greatest comfort, to speak well of God. It's where we find our comfort. Verse 64, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. Blessing God. Nine months later, Zechariah spoke well of God. Through godly discipline, it leads us to speak well of God. 
How dare us as followers of Jesus Christ that we would ever mock God and how he reigns? And yet we find ourselves joking about God at times. God's will and his timing. And yet here we see that it is no joking matter because God loves his children. And he has a great plan in place and he wants us in line with that plan. So then Zechariah reached his neighbors with an all-inspired message. God was giving him a son. But listen, God was giving him a son, the son that he had prayed for. Here comes your son, but not solely for Zechariah and Elizabeth's purposes and dreams, but ultimately for his own plan and pleasure. This is how God works through his people. If you're sitting there thinking, but Brian, is there anything wrong with us wanting a gift that we may enjoy here on this earth? Absolutely not. But to doubt that God is good by not providing it for you, that's where we enter into sin. But God had this plan. And ultimately, it's for his good, for his pleasure, This is where Christians should find their comfort. So Zechariah speaks well of God's plan. He says, to God be the glory. He rests in God's plan. Luke chapter 1, 14 through 17, this is the plan. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink or be or he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah has spent nine months thinking on this. And when he can speak, he says, his name is John, for the Lord is gracious. Here's his plan. Not given the option to name his own son, he gladly submits to God's plan. There's no hesitation with Zechariah. He trusts God's plan over man's plan. Now, how do we know when we are content with God's plan. I want to be content. I'm sure you want to be content, Christian, with God's plan. How do we know when we are in that place? We speak well of him. We speak well of him. It's not that we're fake. It's not that we just say the right things, but that we trust the things we say. That God is good. God is gracious. We can trust him. There's never a time to put the blame on God as if he is in the wrong. We speak well of God. That's how we know we are content within God's plan. Whatever he is working, and we don't know all of the intricate details, but we rest in it and we speak well of God at all times. It also means that we can come and confess, here's where I'm struggling to speak well of God. I want to speak well of God, but this is what's standing in my way. That's why we, the church, have been brought together so that we can confess those real things. 
And can I tell you this? This past week, I had a wonderful opportunity of sitting down with some men where we just confessed some things that we struggled with. And walking away from that, I thought, I am so glad that I can be with a group of men who can just say, this is what I wrestle with. Is this godly? I don't know. Help me. Please do not look to us as pastors and those who are on staff as if we are perfect and have it all together. Some of you laugh quietly because you know better already. But we are here if you are struggling to speak well of God. And I'm speaking to you, Christian. If you're struggling right now in this season of life to speak well of God, please come talk with us. Talk with a brother and sister in Christ. Share with them where you're struggling to speak well of God so that we come in line with God's good plan. Verse 65, and fear came on all their neighbors. Fear. You think, hey, you you share something good, shouldn't there be happiness, excitement, joy, but there's fear, meaning a spirit of reverence came over the crowd. Now, although this word fear does mean phobos or phobos, it can come in the form of intimidation, terror, or fright. There are many phobias that we have out there Nectophobia, fear of darkness. Acrophobia, fear of heights. Dentophobia, fear of dentist. I don't know if that's real, but Google said it was. Cholerophobia, a fear of clowns. I do know that one's real. Thanks to a, a horror film that thought it would be great to make a clown scary. All of these fears cause us to run away from something. To run away. That's not the fear that we see here in this verse 65. It's a reverence, which means to draw near. We draw near to God. The neighbors spoke well of God throughout the hill country. All who heard laid them up in their hearts, literally place in the heart, hold, treasure, to store information in the mind with the implication of its being valuable. Oh, they embraced it. Sadly, not all would continue to embrace it. Understand that there are those who will hear the gospel and they'll get excited And they'll seem as if they are converted, as if they are a new follower of Christ. But yet you give it enough days and they walk away from it because they didn't truly fear. They were caught up with something, whatever may benefit them from being a follower of Christ. But yet they did not want to fear God, to draw near to God for their whole life. And yet that would be the case with many of these, but then many of them would continue. But there's a difference between godly fear and the fickle fear of some people who would abandon this good news. Godly fear means to treasure the works of God. John Calvin says it this way, as the record of Christ's works endures forever, so their impact on us is firm and lasting. We take the word, the work of Christ, and we embrace it. It's firm. It is lasting. Tim Chester in his book, Gospel Relationships, says this about godly fear. The answer to the fear of man is the fear of God. We need a big view of God. To fear God is to respect, worship, trust, and submit to God. To fear God is to have proper appreciation of his holiness, majesty, glory, power, love, and wrath. 
Christians can now call God our Father, and fear in the sense of terror has been taken away. We must meditate on God's glory, greatness, holiness, power, splendor, beauty, grace, mercy, and love. It's to treasure the works of God. This is godly fear. Fickle fear doubts the works of God. John Calvin continues on. He says, they are aroused for a short time, but then the emotion vanishes. They're aroused for a short time, but then the emotion vanishes. Believers, on the other hand, have such a holy fear graven on their hearts that in every circumstance of life, God is always present to them so that they walk as if his eye were on them. We were talking about it in community group this morning. To have a godly fear is to recognize that the spirit of God really does live within you, believer. That's not just spiritual talk. God has come to take residence in you. You are the temple. I am the temple. The spirit of God dwells within us so that when we meet that temptation and we begin to think, should I, shouldn't I, should I, I don't know. Maybe I deserve it. Maybe I haven't been appreciated as much this week. I'm just struggling. I need some comfort. I need to be reaffirmed in my significance. And you begin to wrestle with that. And then we give in to that sin. It's because we do not possess in that moment a godly fear, recognizing that God is in us to empower us as we meet that temptation to say, Jesus, help me. Guide me through this. Help me to flee. Help me, Holy Spirit. I hope that all of us have had those moments recently so that we will not walk around in guilt and in fear of thinking we'll never overcome our sin, but we're just going to be that person who always struggles with that certain sin. It just has a hold on us. We're just weak. You just don't understand my longing for it. But yet, if you'll trust the Holy Spirit to empower you, he'll deliver you from it. That's godly here. It's treasuring Christ even when you do not feel like treasuring Christ. God is so good that he loves us still even when we don't want to treasure the goodness of Jesus Christ that he placed this Holy Spirit within us to empower us through those weak moments. Does that make sense church? You may not be wanting to honor Christ in that moment, but if you will just call out the name of Jesus and trust the spirit within you, he will lead you as you develop more and more a godly fear. Because it's been graven on your heart. So all of this happens. And then the crowd says, what then? Will this child be? What will he be? Wow, he's got to be something special. I mean, I'm sure they're thinking of Isaac. In the Old Testament, oh, he's, he's got to be something special. For, on the hand, for the hand of the Lord was with him. And Zechariah speaks a message as he is empowered of, by God through the Holy Spirit, as if God himself were speaking in person. It was the same with Elizabeth when she publicly proclaimed, blessed are you, young woman, speaking to Mary, 
and blessed is the fruit of your womb. 1 Corinthians 12.3 says this, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. If you hear a brother or sister in Christ speaking evil of Jesus, present this verse to them and say, listen, if you have the Holy Spirit, you will not be speaking evil of Jesus. Come in line with the Scriptures. Be careful where you tread. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. That's why I want to bring comfort to every believer in this room. Watch that little thing. I don't know what I just stepped on there, Clint. But comfort to every believer in the room. You say, how do I know that I'm a Christian? Have I done enough? Do I continue to do enough? How do I know? Do you believe the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you confessed that he is Lord? Do you believe these things to be true? Do you hold to this that Christ is the only way? Then take comfort that you are a follower of Jesus. You say, well, that sounds really simple. It's not. It's not. We begin to have one-on-one conversations and what may come from those conversations is you may believe that there are more gods than one. You may believe that other religions have their way to heaven as well. You may right now believe that. That's not the gospel. By faith through the Holy Spirit, one would say, there's only one way, and it's Jesus Christ. He's the one, he's the big deal of this whole passage here. Yes, it's Jesus. I believe in him. You cannot boldly make that statement and believe that it is true without the Holy Spirit already inside of you. Take comfort. Take comfort. I know you want to clap, and this is not a clapping culture. It's okay. It's okay. But... Yes, because the Holy Spirit is in us. Verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Wow. Here it is. This is what it all comes to. And when Zechariah makes mention of this, he's speaking as if it's already done. It's already done. This is how those in the Old Testament looking forward believed. It's done. The Messiah is going to do it. He's going to complete it. But he says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Notice that. He doesn't just say, blessed be the Lord God. Because Zechariah is distinguishing God from all of the idols which were then worshipped. He goes back to the history of God and Israel saying, remain fixed on him. God has not forgotten his people in their affliction as they have trusted him as the one true God, Lord God of Israel, even as they sit underneath the shadow of Rome. Yeah, they have a Herod. Herod doesn't care for the Jews. He's persuaded by the Romans. We don't get that here in the States right now what it's like to live in a land where another people have authority over you. We do not get that. Another nation that makes decisions for you, that overrides things that you want to do as a nation. That was the people of Israel. They were in a dark day. They've been in dark days before. This was a dark day. They could not freely walk about the cabin. 
They were constricted. They did not have much space around them for freedom. And yet God remembers his people. Isaiah 8, 17, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob and I will hope in him. There will be that time when God comes and reveals himself and he will send the Messiah. We talked about hope a minute ago and this is the hope that Zechariah has and that Elizabeth has, that Mary has, that Joseph will have. You see, a secure hope in Christ drives out insecurity and anxieties. Say it again. A secure hope in Christ drives out insecurity and anxieties. Anxieties. Meaning that we are not to be anxious. But yet it seems that what we're hearing more today is not that people are depressed, but that they're anxious. I have anxiety. I have anxiety issues. I get that this is a tender one to deal with. So before you already get your defense up and say, how dare you approach this one? Listen, I I get that there are people who struggle with anxiety. But I also get that when a culture begins to embrace this, more people will latch onto it quicker. And what we'll do is we'll seek our help elsewhere other than the scriptures. What I did not just say is that you neglect the scriptures and that's why you struggle with anxiety. I did not just say that. What I'm saying is that we are quicker to run to other things other than scripture. Is that clear? Anxiety. And what we're noticing is that we could live in such a time as this where we have homes to go to whether big or small, cars to drive, whether fancy or barely making it, food to put into our bellies, whether it's approved by whatever's the new fad. We have food to eat. We have houses to live in. We have a way to get about town. And yet we have all this anxiety. Could it be that we do have so much anxiety upon us because we're not trusting in the secure hope in Christ. Jesus understands anxiety. He understands afflictions. And for Zechariah and for Elizabeth, he comforts them. They're speaking well of him. And it drives out insecurity and anxieties. But I'll recall our attention to Luke chapter 12, verse 32, as Jesus is saying, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek these things. And this is what he says in Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If you're struggling with anxiety today, and this is really wrecking your soul Would you take Luke chapter 12, verse 32, and commit it to memory? And as a follower of Christ, would you be comforted to know that you are part of the flock and that Jesus has already said, fear not, little flock. Fear not. Why? Because Jesus loves his sheep. And it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. There's a kingdom that awaits. But in order for there to be a kingdom before us, a king had to come. 
And he did. He has visited and redeemed his people. He has visited and redeemed his people. God's repeated promise of redemption is not empty. Although it may have seemed empty for decades and centuries until this moment, it's not empty. It's not, I will get to it later. It's that everything and every day has a purpose and its grand design of redemption. Everything has its purpose. <clears throat> Whatever you may be facing today has its purpose. The people around you, where God has placed you, there's a purpose. There's a reason why. There was a purpose for Zechariah and Elizabeth to be old in age before John the Baptist was to come. One, we know that John the Baptist was going to go live out in the wilderness. This made it possible because God had a purpose for John as God has a purpose for every person that's on this earth. Will you trust him that he is good and that he has come to provide, that he's come to deliver, come to redeem John Calvin says, the essential thing is to see that if we could taste God's goodness and rely on his promises for help, we must at once fix our thoughts on the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's where we're going to go the, the rest of this way. Today was just kind of setting up the scene. Here's where we are. Here's the context. Next week, Pastor Will's going to come. He's going to preach on the horn of salvation because this is how God redeemed his people. He raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David. This goes back to Psalm 132, verse 17. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. What does it look like for God to come visit and redeem his people? It's that we may no longer walk about this earth with a fickle fear, often abandoning the things of God when it doesn't go our way, but that we walk with a godly fear, embracing all things God's will and knowing and trusting that because Christ came and that he lived a good life, and that he died on the cross for real sin, that he made payment, he purchased the church, the church has been set free. And how does the church respond today? With faith and repentance. Everyone who puts their faith and trust in Christ has the firm belief that their sins have been paid for. It's already done. But this isn't the only visitation that we receive. Christ is coming back and Christ could come back today. You say, oh no, he's still got to go to a few more nations. I, I wouldn't just be sitting around thinking that it's going to be far in the future when Christ comes back. He could come back at any time, church. There ought to be an urgency to us to speak well of God, to say Christ is returning. When Christ returns, will you be glad? Will you be glad? There's only one way that one could be glad at the return of Christ, and that's if they trust in what Christ has already done. Do you trust in what Christ has done? Do you hold to the work of the cross? Do you believe that no matter what you face, God is good, he has a purpose, he will lead you through that.
you can trust him. Do you believe these things today? If so, praise be to God. If you're doubting these things to God, we're standing right up here. Come talk to us. Maybe you want to write on that connection card, hey, I need to meet with you because I have some struggles or I have some real problems with things you've said today. Hey, write that down. We want to meet with you. We want you to be glad. We want you to fear God. What's standing in the way? Place your faith and trust in Christ. Be saved today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this song that we can go back and preach from. It was a song that Zechariah lifted up with great joy, with great delight, as he spoke well of you. Father, I pray that week after week as we break apart this passage, that you would bless the preaching of your word, and as we receive this word, that we would grow in our faith and dependency upon you. Thank you that you sent your son. Lord, it is exciting to turn our attention to Christmas. There are all the feel-goods, Lord, when we have our favorite Christmas songs, when we have our favorite Christmas treats, when we wear our favorite Christmas sweaters, when we have our favorite Christmas parties. And I pray, Father, that we would be a people that enjoy these things this year, but at the center of it all, that we would be grateful that you have visited us You have come to us because we could never, ever come to you because of our sin. Thank you that you're gracious and you're kind and you're patient. May we trust this. May we truly trust it and live our lives, Lord, based on this truth. To you be the glory. We thank you for Jesus. Amen. Amen.